Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks Podcast. In today's episode, I have a very interesting guest by the name of Reggie Rivers. Reggie, how are you? I'm good, Dr. Mitch. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know, obviously, we're doing this here in Colorado. We're, we're based out of Erie. So a lot of people are going to know Reggie Rivers. So this is going to be an easy sell for all of our local listeners, for sure. I don't even know how many countries we're in, but we're in a lot of them now. So they're going to at least get to find out who Reggie Rivers is. You're uh, a Denver Bronco, uh, a past Denver Bronco, motivational speaker, you're a TV personality, an author. Uh, man, you got it all going on. But give us a little background of Reggie Rivers. Sure. Before I do, what kind of doctor are you, Dr. Mitch? I'm a chiropractor. Oh, you're a chiropractor? Yes. Listen, I've been having a little bit of a... <laughs> I get that all day long. <laughs> yes, That's sir. awesome. Well, uh, so I, I grew up in a military family. We moved all over. I was born in Dayton, Ohio. We lived in England for five years. We lived in Greece for three years, lived in Florida for a year, then moved to Texas. And I spent most of my adolescence in Texas, in San Antonio, went to Texas State University, which was then called Southwest Texas State University. Most of you have probably never heard of it because you didn't have the grades to get in there. But it is the Harvard <laughs> of the South, the Oxford of North America, um, and graduated with a degree in journalism and then came here to Denver to play for the Denver Broncos straight out of college, uh, played for the Broncos for six years and just loved it here in Denver, loved Colorado, and I have never left. I'm now 54 years old. I came here when I was 23, and so I've been here for 31 years. You know, there, part of that's a lie. One of my buddies is an attorney, and he went to SMU, and he says that SMU is Harvard of the South. So one of you's lying. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the attorney. Yeah. <laughs> SMU is the Eastern Michigan of the South. <laughs> Uh, and he listens to this. This ought to be great, right? <laughs> you know, you know. One of the things uh, producer Chad ends up he he called me up and he says, "Hey, listen, I I think we're going to get Reggie Rivers on the show." I'm like, "Phenomenal, man!" Because again, uh, boy, this might be tough to hear a little bit, but I grew up in Kansas City, huge Kansas City Chiefs fan, and uh, but I remember Reggie Rivers, right? Because you always remember the guy on the other side of the ball. But I want to take something here. Uh, out of this interview because you are so much more than just an NFL football player, uh, a motivational speaker, an author, a TV personality. I mean, you've, you've been on everything. And so we're going to really educate some people. So I'm, I'm going to throw this out at you first, okay? And we may have to edit some of this because uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but it is something that came up and it was on my mind. And after doing my research, I'm like, ooh, I get to talk to Reggie Rivers about this. There is a kid that we know phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. Going into his junior, junior year, kid is special. He's very, very, very special. When you look up the NFL statistics, though, uh, just even to be a player in college, you're at like 2.6%, but to get to the NFL, it's 1.2%. The guy's young. I don't know if he understands what that statistic means, but what made Reggie Rivers that one percenter? I think I think it starts with not thinking about the statistics. So, you know, it, it starts with having youth and confidence and ambition, and you're not weighed down by reality. Like you still get to live in this world where, hey, whatever I dream of, that's what I'm going to be. Like life hasn't knocked you down um, yet. And so I think that's that's the starter for all of us who make it 
to that next level. It's just this belief that, yeah, I could, I could go do that. And then I, I think it really came down to, I just started to understand what it took to be successful. And I used to be very intimidated of other people's capabilities. You know, I'd, I'd see some guy who ran a 4-4 40-yard dash at the combine. And I would think, well, gosh, that guy's faster than me. And now I'm on the kickoff coverage and he's going to embarrass me. He's going to outrun me. Well, I, I started to understand that I'm not racing against the best time this guy ever put up in the best conditions on the day he was doing the biggest job interview of his life and his in the in the shoes he loved, properly stretched out, properly rested, properly hydrated, properly everything. No, I'm competing on how much effort he's willing to put in on the kickoff coverage when it's 32 degrees outside or when it's 100 degrees outside, when it's in late in the fourth quarter, when he's already tired, when there's a big collision waiting for him at the end of that. I started to understand that I'm not competing against my idea of what the best that somebody else has. I'm competing against how much effort they're willing to put in right now and just focusing on my effort and saying, well, I'm willing to put in 100% effort. It turned out that I outran a lot of people. Is it, does any of that have to do with uh, military upbringing? I think so. I, I think that my my dad being in the Air Force for 23 years, then you know my whole family was military. Both my brothers were career Air Force. Both my sisters were career Air Force. Both my brothers-in-law were career Air Force. I was the only one who didn't go into <laughs> the Air Force. But certainly growing up um, in that family, moving all over the world, meeting people um, of different cultures, different um, uh, backgrounds, different languages, different cuisine, different everything, yet still knowing that, hey, I make friends everywhere I go, and, and ultimately we're all the same. I think that for sure that has impacted me positively in my life, that I keep landing in new places and I find a way to make friends and I'm not intimidated by the differences between us. And I'm able to just focus on what is it that I'm bringing to the table? What is it that I can go do? Did you compete against you? Did you see the other guys? What you, again, the one percenter, right? It always blows me away when you when when I do think about those statistics. Was it was it more mindset or was it more raw grit, raw talent? What what was it? I would say it's primarily mindset. By the time you get to that level, everybody has ability. It's you know you're you might have been when you were on your eighth grade team. You might have been super talented, and you're playing against some kids who don't have any talent. But by the time you're playing in high school, most of those kids have some talent. By the time you get to college, all of them have talent. And by the time you get to the pros, these are the best of the best. Every player who got cut from an NFL team is still among the most elite football players ever. And so when you get up to that level, the talent is, is pretty similar, even though it's not identical. And so it really comes down to mindset. It really is who's the most consistent, who studies their playbook the most, who is who is preparing to be successful? Who expects to be successful? Who's not as distracted by other things that are trying to pull them away? Who's, whose compass continually is, is, you know, it's like their G, personal GPS, always trying to get you to your destination, even if you take a detour, it's immediately trying to get you to take that left turn to get back towards your path. Who has that in them? Those are the guys who make it. Oh, man, that was just beautiful. He's going to listen to this over and over. He's going to know who Reggie is. It's going to be in his brain nonstop. Because I believe that too, man. I believe that, you know, we've done some Navy SEALs on here, and it's that same thing, right, that mindset that it's just a step above. It's a step above the way almost everyone else functions in the world. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot here one second. What do you think about this NIL thing? Tell me about it. 
well, they're going to pay these college athletes for their name and like, and I don't know. What, what, what do you think as a, as a uh, previous professional NFL guy? I, I believe that the NCAA has to find a way to pay the players. And if this is the way that they end up doing it, I'm, I'm in favor of that. I, I have long been um, an opponent of the current system in the NCAA because it's, it's just unreasonable and unfair to these players who are generating all of this revenue. Um, and to give you an idea, let's, let's pretend that Justin Bieber was a great football player. Well, Justin Bieber started his career at age nine or 10 and was by the time he was 18, he was a multimillionaire and he had, he had built a name for himself. Well, if he had signed with the University of Alabama as a, as a D1 recruit, the University of Alabama would have gotten the, the right to use Justin Bieber's name and likeness to make money, but Justin Bieber would not be allowed to. And then when he graduated, he would get his name and likeness back, but into perpetuity, the University of Alabama would also get to merchandise Justin Bieber's name and likeness. And so when you take an example of somebody who built a name prior to going off to college, it becomes obvious how ridiculous and unfair this system is that the players are not allowed to profit from their own notoriety. I love that. See, as I love the perspectives, man. That's, that's what I love this show for. We, we like to bring on a completely different perspective or a new perspective. I love it. It makes perfect sense to me. Wow, that's amazing. I do want to talk a little bit about your son. So your son is going to the Harvard of the South as well. Correct. Correct. He's, um, you know, he's just academically elite, obviously, to make it to this <laughs> August institution. <laughs> <laughs> do you talk to him... How much of how much dad and how much motivational speaker do you talk to him? Well, you know, dad can't help being a motivational speaker, especially <laughs> with his son. But my son is fairly immune to my motivational speeches, too. You know, he's <laughs> he's my kid. Um, but, you know, I I mostly just talk to him about just doing your best, not like to not put pressure on himself. It's like, listen, he's going to walk onto the football team Said so you might be a college football player. You might not. It doesn't matter. Go out try your hardest. If you make it, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. You know, don't, don't stress about it. Don't walk in there feeling like they expect you to do this or that. They expect you to bench press this much. They expect you to be that fast. It's like, no, you're an 18 year old freshman. You're going to walk in, you're going to meet grown men. This guy's 22 <laughs> years old. He's, he's had this testosterone in his body for the past four years. He's been lifting and eating and, and he's a professional hitter at this point. And so what they're looking for in you is, do you have potential and are you willing to work hard? And those, that's it. That's all. Do you have potential and are you willing to work hard? If they see those things in you, then they'll start putting the effort into you and, and investing in you to help you build and grow. And then pretty soon you'll be that 22-year-old who's a senior and a starter and is doing what he wants to do. That's exciting, though, when, you have a, when, you, when it's your kid. It is. like I, I enjoy watching my kids do their own thing. And gosh, you can't help but interject all the time. At least I do. I'm like, you know, listen, you got to get that mindset. You got to get that focus. And my kids are, are like this all the time. Right. I'm like, holy mackerel, you know? Yeah. How old are your kids, Dr. Mitch? So I have uh, a 21, uh, one getting ready to be 17 and another one just getting ready just turned 15. So, okay. and, and, and my youngest, he's plays football. My daughter's a cheerleader. My oldest is now on a 84 day tour, uh, traveling around the country with his band. It's a, it's uh called the blue Knights. It's a percussion ensemble thing. And so, 
So all of them are in something. They're all crazy busy, which I believe in, because uh, if they're not crazy busy doing something good, they might be crazy busy doing something bad. Absolutely. So I try and keep them going with that. You guys are so, in the thick of it. That's great. Oh, man, it wears you. That's why I got all this gray hair. I'm worn out all the time. <laughs> but it looks so good. I was not <laughs> expecting you to be as handsome as you were. CJ <laughs> yeah. did not warn me about that. We have some really fantastic cameras over here. I'll tell you that. We spent a lot of money on that. So here's what I want to talk to you about, too. So at some point in every professional's career, the stadium lights go off for the last time. And you have turned in to this whole other Reggie Rivers, which is equally as amazing as the NFL football player. What was your drive to do that? You know, I, I just I never lost sight of the fact that the NFL was not going to last for very long. Um, I came out of college. I was an undrafted free agent. I immediately started writing a, a column for the Rocky Mountain News in my rookie training camp. And at the bottom of the column, it had a, a blurb that said, Reggie Rivers is a free agent running back from Southwest Texas State. His column will appear here throughout training camp or until he gets cut. And so <laughs> it was clear from the beginning that my prospects were not really secure. I, I had a grip, <laughs> but it was like two fingers of each hand were in there. And so I was on the bubble every year. And, and every year I had to think about, well, what am I going to do if I don't make the team this year? And I think having that thought, you know, for some people, they would say, oh man, if you think about not making it, then you're psyching yourself out and you won't make it. And for me, it was more of, listen, I've already made it to the NFL. If I get another year, that's gravy. If I don't, I'm going to be fine. But what am I going to do? What is it that I think I'll, I'll want to do next? And if if I make it again, boom, my, my plan of what I'm going to do next just gets pushed another year into the future. And I, I, I think that that mindset was really the reason that when I left the NFL, within two weeks, I went to work for KOA Radio as a broadcaster. And then I, since then, I've just bounced into different things, done a lot of media stuff. I started a company called The Gala Team um, back in 2013 doing auction events. And now it's a team of 19 people. With We're doing 140 events a year. And it's, it's all just about kind of always thinking about what's the next thing going to be and kind of looking around the corner to figure out where I want to be. And a TED Talk. I watched your TED Talk. Sure. And you've wrote several books of which I want to talk just a little bit about each one of those. Those are, they're very interesting. But what got you into writing? I know that this was even early on before football. Yeah, my, my mom was a, reference librarian. Um, well, she wasn't that when I was a kid. She was a lover of books. Um, and we always went to the library. Every base that we landed at, the first Saturday we were there, we would go to the library and we would pick out some books. And so I was an early reader, um, loved reading. And then I, I started writing fairly early. I would just, I would write in a journal. I'd write notes to friends. And then I, in high school, I started writing for the school newspaper and um, the yearbook and things like that. And I just fell in love with journalism. I went to a journalism workshop uh, at San Antonio College between my junior and senior year in high school. Ended up um, winning an award there and got offered an internship at the San Antonio Light newspaper, writing obituaries. And so I did that for a year. When I went to Texas State, one of my professors was a city editor at the Austin American Statesman. And 
he saw my work and he said, hey, I, I can tell that you've had some writing experience. And I told him about writing obituaries. And so I ended up with an internship at the Austin American Statesman, then got an internship at Newsday up in New York. And when I graduated from college, I had four newspaper job offers and a chance, I'm sorry, three newspaper job offers, one with Procter & Gamble and a chance to go tr try out with the Denver Broncos as a free agent. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, writing has been something that I love doing. I had an affinity for it. Uh, right away and, and started to develop a talent at it. Yeah, it was, it's quite amazing because uh, when I see stuff like that, it, it always, it's, I, I, I know that a lot of life experiences goes into that writing, right? Like, uh, but you have, yours are kind of different. They're different types of books. Tell us about the ones you've written. Um, not in any, well, I guess I'll do it in order. Uh, the Vance, The Beginning and the End was a biography about former Broncos wide receiver Vance Johnson. And the at that time, he had had seven wives and nine children and uh, 42 cars, three boats, <laughs> uh, a couple of motorcycles and just, you know, his crazy frenetic life. The next book I wrote was called Power Shift about an escalating feud between a sports reporter and an NFL player and how um, uh, is that right? Yes. I'm, I'm kind of getting yes, these plots. You are right. Yes. <laughs> I did my research. Was, uh, was Fourth and Fixed. It was a novel about a crime family fixing NFL games. Then after that, I wrote a book called My Wife's Boyfriend and Our Feud with the Highland Ranch Homeowners Association. <laughs> <laughs> and for clarity, um, uh, we've never lived in Highland Ranch. And as far as I know, my wife has never had a boyfriend uh, while she was with me. But it was just a, a funny book about a marriage that's falling apart while they're battling with their HOA board. Um, and then I, I wrote a book called, I went back to school, got a master's degree in international studies and wrote a book called The Colony, A Political Tale, which is an allegory about foreign policy told through these two colonies of ants, the Alpha Z tribe of army ants and a tribe of leafcutter ants called Antistan. And it's how the Alpha Z gets control of this fungus that they grow at the bottom of Antistan. And then uh, the sixth book was a republish of, for, a rewrite and a republish of Fourth and Fixed. Um, it's called Rookies and Bookies. Um, after the publisher uh, relinquished the rights to the book to me, I re rewrote it a little bit and republished it. Yeah, that's just amazing. Like, uh, yeah, you are such an interesting, interesting guy. And that's what I, that's what I love about these things. You know, and when I was looking back, sometimes we, we are looking for that rags to riches story or, or just this person who goes above and beyond and becomes exceptional all through life. That's you, man. That is, uh, every, it seems like everything has been pretty exceptional in, in your world. What happens next for you? More books? What are you doing next? You know, I'm really just, I'm trying to grow my company. I, I love the work that I do. I've never had more job satisfaction than I have right now. We help nonprofits raise money. And it's it's rewarding. It's exciting. It's empowering. Um, it's inspiring. And I just I love it. And I knew that once I got into it, I, I immediately loved it. But now that I've linked hands with more people and our team grows and we work with more and more nonprofits, just the impact that we're having on our community is what really drives me. And so I am constantly working to let's get bigger. Let's help more organizations. Let's let's see how much of an impact we can have. Well, I mean, you did study at uh, Harvard Business School down there, so you might as well might as well put it to use. That is well said, Doc. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so when you again after you've kind of come to this 
realization in life and you kind of look back, this, this is kind of a segment that I always love to do as I'm, as I'm doing a podcast. You're now 54. Wisdom has set in. And what would, what would Reggie tell the young Reggie that was getting ready to go into college? What's the difference between the Reggie now and the Reggie then? That is a good question. Um, that's a really good question. It's my job. Answer a slightly different question because <laughs> I, it relates to that, but I don't, I, don't, I don't quite have the answer to that. A conversation that I had with my son very recently because you know he's not the young Reggie, he's the young Malik, but I've been talking to Malik about just be kind and considerate of others. You'll be amazed at how many doors will open up for you if you just carry yourself in a way that you're kind and you're considerate of others. You, you conduct yourself with integrity, you respect other people. And we were, we were down visiting Texas State, visiting the campus, and you know we're there with meeting with the the athletic department, and my name is is on the wall and stuff. And and he said at one point he said, "Dad, your life kind of sounds like a fairy tale. Like it, all this stuff just happened." And uh, and I said, "No, it, I I I can see how you how it feels like that." Um, and so we a little bit later, later on that day, we're in my parents' old neighborhood in Seguin, Texas. Their house washed away in a flood back in 1998. Fortunately, they weren't in the house at the time, but um, we're driving through this neighborhood. It's an all white neighborhood and we're here we are in this rental car and there's this couple on the lawn and they're kind of watching us creep through the neighborhood. So I stopped the car and my wife was like, Reggie, don't get out. I get out of the car. I walk over to um, the, the couple that's standing there and I say, um, hi, my name is Reggie Rivers. My parents, Phyllis and Frankie, used to live right there. Their house washed away in the flood of 1998. I don't know how long you guys have been here, but I don't, did you know them? And they said, oh no, we've only been here five years. We start talking. We're just having a conversation. Three minutes later, I go knock on the window of my wife's car and say, hey, uh, come on, Malik and, and Stephanie. They want to give us a tour of their house. And <laughs> and I when, I when we went on this tour of their house and we get back in the car and I told my son, I said, that's been my experience in life is that when I approach people respectfully and with consideration for who they are and what they're doing, the, the response that I get has always been that they open the door and, and they let me come in. And so repeatedly, I feel like I've been blessed by people who saw something in me that made them want to invest in me, made them want to give me an opportunity, made them want to give me a chance. And it was all those people that have really helped me get to where I am right now. Are you ever going to write a book about the guys after the NFL, like a book called After the NFL? That would be the title I'd like. Yeah, you know what? I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. I guess that's a possibility. Oh. Yeah. We need to go to lunch. We need to sit down. And that's something that I think is I mean, again, I think that would be amazing. It's after all you've done and and I can only kind of imagine that thought process, you know, when you uh we did a, a, a Navy SEAL by the name of Chad Williams and and when he got when he got his trident. He gets to the top, you know, and they, they give him his trident. And he was like, it was the greatest day and the worst day of my life. It was the greatest day when he got to trident. But then he's like, what's next? And there was nothing bigger than being a Navy SEAL. And he, he talked about that after the fact, right? And he was lost and all that stuff. 
And I've talked to a, a few people who've been in NFL with that similar kind of experience. I, I'm thinking you should be writing right now. I don't see you taking notes, but you should be taking notes right now. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that would be a phenomenal book. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. I, I've, you know, I know so many players and it really is that you spent your whole life training and you become an expert at this. You're a, a top world expert. It's like you're a top rated brain surgeon. And then the next day they say, okay, you can't do any more brain surgeries or yeah. you're a top rated pianist and a, a concert pianist. And the next day they say, okay, go do something else, but you can't play the piano. It is jarring. And it's like, I have this highly developed skill. What, what am I supposed to do with it? And I think what's, it's really important for athletes to just start to figure out what are my transferable skills? What are the, the skills that are going to help me do something else in life? And not necessarily the obvious stuff. You know, the obvious stuff is, well, I could be a commentator. That's a transferable skill. I could be a coach. Um, but also, you are a professional at getting tackled. Like, <laughs> you have spent your whole life getting tackled. You know who gets tackled? Salespeople. And they yeah. and it's the hardest thing in the world. They they all they get tackled. They're like, oh god, I'm so demoralized. I didn't score a touchdown on this one. You're so used to getting tackled, you don't even think about it. You just you just get tackled and you pop back up. You go back to the huddle. And so I think athletes, if they can get redirected, they can really make great salespeople uh, because of they they've learned how to win and lose. They they've learned how to not take their wins too seriously, not take their losses too personally, just to get over them quickly move on there's always a next game a next play a next season just move on with it so when do you think this book comes out six months from now <laughs> <laughs> always be closing dr <laughs> always be closing all right thank you again thanks a million i want to stay in touch with you i know uh, i know chad probably has your contact information absolutely I, uh, i'd like to hit you up if you don't mind and and uh, just stay just stay in touch and see what happens out of this thing that sounds great. Hey, it's really nice to meet you. Thank you so much, Reggie. I appreciate it. You too. All right, bye-bye.